Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I am David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? A little bit of a frustrating day for uh, Canadian and Edmonton sports fans. Both our teams, Team Canada and soccer, shut out. The Edmonton Oilers shut out, and not through a lack of trying for either team. Oh. Both teams directed a lot of shots at net and on net, mm-hmm. and they could not score. They could not score. The Oilers yeah. came really close to scoring, of course, in this. Uh, so did Canada. <laughs> so did Canada. Well, they, yeah, they had a few. They had a few like on net, like um, that were pretty dangerous. The mm-hmm. one head header play. That that Canadian team, Bruce, I have to say though, is is such a great team like i remember when canada previously made the world cup they were just barely hanging on by their teeth they could they, they couldn't mount an attack for the life of them um, they were, yeah they were very back in the 80s yeah, yeah they, they, they lost know. they lost their first game one nil to france which was a world power much as belgium is now but it was a game where canada i think they I think it was tied for like 80 minutes and then france got a late one to win it but at, at at all times, the best possible result for Canada would have been nil-nil. They, and they were never a threat to, uh, yeah, never a threat to uh, to score really. And and whereas today, uh, they you know they outshot Belgium 21-9. Like that's a big margin. And normally you'd expect for two teams with rankings like that, number two versus number 41, that the shots would be big time in favor of the higher ranked team. Not the case. Uh, Canada brought it, and they, you know, and they had some good looks, and they, you know, and they, they really didn't give up a whole lot, but the one ten bell chance that they, you know, seized, and Buddy made a great shot. Nobody on Canada could ever make that great shot. They got they were they yeah. got their looks. They didn't get the real shots that they needed. So. Canada was clearly the better team. I don't know if the Oilers. I don't know if the Oilers were clearly the better team tonight in their three nothing loss to the Islanders. <laughs> Um, because sure sound like it, a lot it. of their chances, a lot of their best chances came at the end of the game in the third period once it was really out of reach. In the end, the Oilers had 18 grade A shots to seven for the Islanders. Uh, subset of five alarm shots was nine for the Oilers and five for the Islanders. So um, added it all up in the Oilers over the course of the game. But when the game was tight, the, the scoring chances were, were much more even between the two teams. Edmonton just came on in the third period. They had like, uh, well, let me just count them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Nine of their 18 chances came in the third period when the Islanders had just one then. So, Bruce, let's do our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast. What is your good thing? Yeah, I'm going to give the credit to the Oilers for showing some resolve in this game. Uh, even as it was ultimately totally unrewarded and unrequited, uh, they they never backed off and they just kept coming hard. Like I thought after the second period in which they outshot New York 17 to 11 but gave up all three of the goals that were scored in this game, um, that they would be done. But really, from the time New York made it 2 nothing. Uh, all the way to the end of the game, Edmonton was just bringing it hard at him, hard, hard, uh, skating hard, playing with real resolve. 
uh, and creating stuff. And they were playing against a team that for, you know, portion of the game was just checking the crap out of them the way L.A. did last week. But Edmonton started to get through that stuff, and then it was just a matter of getting goalied, and they got goalied by one of the best goalies in the game, and Elias Sorokin, who uh, was absolutely fantastic mm-hmm. in this game with a 50-save shutout. And the Oilers were, you know, the Oilers had no shots until the 12.03 mark of the first period. So they had 50 shots in the last 48 minutes of this game, and not once could they beat Elias Sorokin. And they were all over him. They kept getting good shot, good rebound shot. I mean, Zach Hyman, he's going to be seeing uh, either Sorokin in his, every time he blinks his eyes for the next week, he's going to see that big crest and pads and stick and everything of Sorokin. Because whatever Hyman threw at him, which was a lot of great shots, none of them could get through the guy. But uh, not just him. I mean, McDavid, I mean, they had two or three close-ups of him on the, bench and it was like he just couldn't believe it and he just kept bringing harder and harder some of the cuts and moves and dangles he was making phenomenal and just the fact that it didn't work is a credit to Evie Sorokin and to the New York Islanders and to the damn hockey gourds who have it in for Oilers again these days uh, and I will apportion uh, some blame to the Oilers for uh, a couple of defensive lapses uh, but in terms of their effort None whatsoever. They play their asses off in this game. And if you're going to criticize them after an effort like that, then uh, uh, I would suggest rethink your position a little bit. Criticize them after lousy efforts. That wasn't one. Oh, well, Bruce, you're asking a whole lot of Oiler fans just now to rethink their positions. Cause I am. A, I, I was on Twitter for a second, <laughs> and it was a crap show, like people losing their heads and blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, every, every loss. The losses are mounting up, and so is the frustration. So Definitely. there's that, but... Jeez, I mean, the Oilers themselves, in being frustrated, they 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 laid it out there, and uh, you know, I, I I like their effort, and I frankly pity the next team they're going to play because I have a feeling that this is this is one of those losses that kind of looked like one of those losses at the end of the losing streak where the team's getting its crap together, and it we'll just see. isn't working yet. But we'll see. But uh, hopefully, they can carry that kind of. Th- if they play like that again, they'll win. Yeah, say that. Um, Mind you, they're playing. Where are they playing next game? The Besson the Rangers winner. Yeah. Right? No, no. Yeah, that's it. They're playing a very good team, Bruce. They could, I think we'll they played the Besson Trophy winner tonight. Frankly, for this year, that was uh, he's been outstanding and he was just fantastic in this game, Sorokin. Yeah, I, he's he's uh, talk about square to the shooter. And again, I know expert on goalies but man he was just always he's just always there always square to that puck shooter mm-hmm. and and uh, you know skinner reminds me of him stylistically in a lot of ways he's kind of great big guys square to the shooter which is a really good thing like that that uh, seems to be a very effective style of play just always in the way and um he the owners just couldn't get a bounce against him they yeah. couldn't get they just couldn't have it go to the right guy at the right second to go on the net and they were around the net all the time. So it really was like of all those factors, the hockey gourds were probably the biggest factor tonight. Puck luck was um, not on the other side. They they just didn't happen for them. Um, my good thing, I was actually kind of there. There was a number of strong performances, I guess, tonight, but I couldn't really 
think of anything that stood out too much, except um, I'm going to get to this in my number, some the play of Zach Hyman. So I won't go, go into that right now. But the, so the other good thing, I, I kind of like Jack Campbell's game. He, I don't think he was at fault on any of the goals against. Um, they were all lightning strikes up the ice. Um, Bouchard put it in the net. Um, they were... Uh, there was a screen on the uh, third goal Um, and he looked solid in the net. He looked like he, he looked a little bit more at home, home in the net. So I was just glad to see him back in the nets, um, handling it fairly well, making the saves he had to make. It wasn't enough to win the game for the orders and his, um, it wasn't, it wasn't a good or there's heavy duty feedback. Can you hear that progress? No, the sound quality went a different way down for me. Oh, it ended. Did you? Oh, it started again. It's ending and starting. Is there anything you're doing there? You're end of it. We're having technical difficulties here. Please do not adjust your sets. Is there something with a connection on your microphone? Just push that in. Oh, that ended it. Let's hope. Okay. All right. Uh, Did we say it's been a frustrating day? <laughs> I hope people didn't hear that. That we only heard that on the the. Uh, it sounded like kind of a freight train was bearing down on me there for a second. Uh, so I thought it was just good to see him back in the nets, play an okay game, like nothing, nothing good or great. But he hung in there, didn't let in a bad goal. I guess that's what I thought. I think is a good thing. He's let in so many bad ones that I'm starting to have a little bit of a impending sense of doom. And it was nice to see that dispelled. He, you know, I've been saying all along that he is a, a good goalie and he's played well in the past. I want to see that, and I'm just worried when that's going to happen. So. Tonight was a, I think it was a positive step for Jack Campbell, even though he didn't get the win and his team didn't get the win. He didn't let any bad goals in, any obvious stinkers. So that, that that's my good thing. Kind of damning with faint praise, but nonetheless, I think warranted. Yeah, nine oh three save percentage on the night, so up at least over nine hundred, and uh, uh, a few good stops in there. And, um, uh, unfortunately, what they needed was him to play like Wall, you know, the way uh, 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 Sorokin did at the other end. I was going to say Shesterkin, but that's next game, Sorokin, and then Shesterkin, man, man. Uh, anyway, he was uh, he was solid. I mean, good enough normally to keep the team in the game, and but it's... Uh, I guess good to see him back in there, but and you know playing okay. But he was unfortunately this is a recurring theme for Oilers, the second best goalie on the ice, and that's more a praise of Elias Roken than it is of uh, criticism of uh, Jack Campbell on this night. This is like whoever it was got beat by Ben Scrivens back in that game, you know. The end of the game, the star, all the talks about the one guy, and the other guy didn't actually play that bad, but he. Uh, he wasn't unconscious, all world surreal, the way uh, <laughs> the winning shutout goalie was. Bruce, what's your bad thing? 
Yeah, I got to go with the game-winning goal. Uh, the Oilers survived the first period. They had a little bit of slow offensive shot, but I thought they were pretty decent defensively in the first period. And, uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, they, they, they limited the damage, I think, really. Uh, the Islanders had a few shots during the game, but none of them were too dangerous. And then they finally get to the point where they finally get a power play in, in the second period. And you think, okay, now it's their chance to break through, and the power play immediately does not break through, and instead gets burned for the the critical well first goal in this game. Given they were destined to never score, this was an even huger goal than usual, the first goal of the game. And it came on a power play where uh, uh, Nugent Hopkins in the offensive zone he tried to make a pass across the dry saddle, and, and an Islander read it deflected it and out into kind of uh, dead ice up the, you know, up the, uh, up halfway up the wall in the defensive zone. And the Islanders jumped on it. And really it was only two of them that went up the ice against three Oilers. Uh, but at no time did the Oilers ever establish the appropriate angles on the guys. And the goal that wound up being scored, the guy that passed it from the boards, he was behind the guy who was trying to check him. And that would have been Hyman. And the goal scorer was behind the two guys that were trying to check him, uh, which would have been uh, Nuge and Barry. And so in the end, it might as well have been a two on zero because the pass went behind all three Oilers. Uh, cross, cross seam for uh, uh, Jean-Gabriel Pajot to tap in uh, from right in front of the net. And I would say, you know, Probably Barry made the biggest mistakes on the play because I think originally he made the kind of conservative read to not go after the passer of the puck, who was Zach Parise, and instead default back to the middle of the ice. And Nugent Hopkins was coming up the middle of the ice, but then Hyman did not have the angle on the puck, whereas if Barry had gone straight for the puck, he might have had, in retrospect, a better play. Uh, so that decision caused a bit of a problem, but then he wasn't able to cut out the pass. Like he was with the guy, but he didn't, he, you know, wasn't in the passing lane. And Nuge was with the guy for a while and he even had his stick about 10 feet earlier. And then he kind of, he kind of uh, lost the plot and uh, uh, Pajot just kept going straight for the net, and tapping it home. Campbell yeah. was reading the pass across and when, it, you know, it was almost like it got taken and just tipped right into the short side yeah we'd like to save there but the goalie is like the fourth guy i'm blaming on that one that's a five alarm shot it's like a table yeah. hockey goal you know center uh, to yes. slam it in it's a yep. very very difficult save to make mm -hmm. yeah. i think i blame uh i agree like i, I would say Hyman is by far the least to blame. He was hustling his butt mm -hmm. off to get back up the ice and catch the there. guy. And he almost caught the guy. In fact, yeah. I, like we did tag him on it. I'm not sure that's completely fair because he was coming strong and hard and almost got there in time at the end and he couldn't cut off the pass. Nuge, um, I don't think Barry ever felt confident that, that, that Nuge had the guy going up the middle. Which so that's reason? why he, yeah, so that's why he, that's why he was shading over there mm -hmm. instead of playing the passer. Yeah. And in the end, both of them failed to cut out the pass. And um, it was a bang, bang play in front of the net and uh, slammed it home. Um, my bad thing, Bruce, is in this game was Evan Bouchard. 
Um, he's been in a defensive slump um, for some time now, last 10, 10 games or so, really struggling on defense. And tonight, um, I wasn't quite sure how that first um, that goal went in initially. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the It was a power play goal. I mm-hmm. thought that he just had been soft in front of the net and hadn't taken his man, but then I, in the replay, it's out clear he, he it hit his stick, which can happen to anyone, which is bad luck. But maybe not have your stick right. I don't know. Like, I guess you're trying to cut out that pass. You got to cut out the pass. Yeah. But it's he just that was a tough one. That was a tough play. Um, primarily his fault. McLeod had failed to clear the puck on the play up the boards. He didn't get it out. And then Kulak, um, um, he, I can't remember, he, he allowed a pass. Oh, he allowed a, the pass across, of course, from his side. And then it was uh, Bouchard that tipped it in. Bouchard was also um, a culprit on the uh, third goal against, you know, the, the one that just put it out of reach, I'm going to suggest. Mm-hmm. He failed to cut the pass out to the slot. And he screened the goalie at the same time. So Campbell, initially I was thinking, oh, maybe Campbell should have had that one. Like, what happened there? But it's it's what happened there was he had, just did not see that shot leave the, the shooter's stick because Bouchard was in his way. Um, Kulak had lost a battle um, down low, allowing the guy to go around the net. And then there's, you know, there was Nugent Hopkins, Pugliarvi, and Drysaddle were out on the ice on the back check. Um, Nugent Hopkins was back checking down his side of the ice. There was a player there and he was with him. And then they, they shifted off the Islanders. The guy went to the bench and then the, a guy jumped onto the ice and was actually further ahead in the play. So Nugent Hopkins was further behind on his back check, but he caught up to that guy and stuck with that guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, um, the goal scorer Aho was coming, shooting down the ice. And Drysaddle got a slow start on his back check and never, never caught up. And he, and, if he had skated hard the whole way, I might have been more sympathetic to that, but he didn't. He was cru- he was cruising. There was actually a pretty good shot of the back check. You could see him cruising along. And, and uh, I don't know if he would have caught Aho, but he didn't, and he didn't try that hard. He thought it was a so, three-on-three, but really the Islanders wound up having a guy on either side. And as you say, yeah. Nuge covered the one, and uh, both defensemen getting beaten like rented mules as the old saying goes behind the you know behind the icing line was a big part of that that they couldn't that prevent the pass out that doesn't help it doesn't also help that then the shooters wide freaking open in the mm-hmm. slot to pound it home so um you know i wrote a post today leon's been in a defensive slump for the last 10 games and this is i, I thought his effort was pretty good except on that play uh, mm-hmm. i thought he was pretty strong defensively tonight and was is putting in the effort mm-hmm. that's a tough play like you know He's way. He was behind the goal line, and he, he was, thought it was a three-on-three, three, and he, he was watching he it. And then it. he realized, yeah. "Uh-oh." <laughs> he needed to read it quicker and realize uh, um, this is not. He just needed to make a split-second decision a little faster, and then he might have made the play. Anyway, he didn't. So Evan Bouchard just had a rough night. Um, the primary, you know, guy on two goals against, screening the goalie and deflecting it past the goalie. The goalie, Jack Campbell's just. He's such a nice guy that he won't say anything, I guess. But uh, if it was uh, Mike Smith, uh, Evan Bouchard would probably be cowering in the corner of the locker room right now, uh, waiting for his pink belly or snake bite or something, whatever Mike Smith was going to inflict on. Pink belly or snake bite. Okay. Younger, uh, younger people, (laughs) not from Alberta, Uh 
you know, didn't grow up in the era of uh, rampant bullying in schools may not be aware of either what those other, either of those things I, are. I certainly remember pink <laughs> Jeez, Can you imagine that happened to children? Oh, anyway, um, <laughs> the uh, uh, maybe the others, maybe one of the things they're missing is Mike Smith holding people to account, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm starting to wonder in terms of the uh, some of the defensive things on this team, whether it's uh, uh, they haven't got the right voices in the room at the moment or what the hell it is. You know, Jack Campbell keeps saying it's his fault. Maybe the boys are saying, well, it's the goalie's fault. It's nothing we did. But uh, it certainly is, you know. <laughs> well, anyway. yeah, we've, we've heard this. You know, I think Bob Stoffer mm-hmm. was talking about this this past week. You know, Smith was quite a vocal leader. And mm. uh Duncan Keith was a quiet leader. Now, Duncan Keith's performance at the start of last year was really mediocre. He came on, I thought, quite strongly yep. as the year went along. Yep. But he started out weekly, too. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we should just, right at the end of the podcast, we'll just do a little quick state of the Oilers mm-hmm. of where, where where you think things are going wrong. We'll both get sure. into that for a second. How about that? Sure. Okay, what's your number, Bruce? Okay, well, I'm going to go to the tried and trusty that people, that non-analytics people absolutely detest. So this is this is going to be fun. Uh, expected goals, right? And some people get immediately fly into a rage as soon as they hear the term expected goals because it's, it's meaningless. And in one sense it is because it doesn't necessarily line up with real goals and it certainly didn't tonight. But it speaks as to the process of how many goals you rightfully should expect from the shots that you generated over the course of the game. And in this game, according to Natural Stat Trick, uh, Islanders had expected goals of 2.01. In the end, they scored three. So it wasn't it was off by one goal. The Oilers had expected goals of, wait for it, 6.33, and they scored zero goals. In other words, Sorokin gets credit tonight for 6.3 goals uh, saved above expected. Like the Oilers should have scored over six goals by you know the shots they were able to generate, and they got none. So you can say, well, they were missing their shots, and you know their process was okay, but they couldn't make a damn shot. Well, they made a few damn shots to my eye, and they just couldn't beat the damn goalie. And so, I mean, 6.33 to 2.01. Now I know you worked it out for uh, you know for our measurement of shots and what did you have it significantly in favor of the Oilers also? Yeah, Certainly. sometimes our numbers don't fit in with natural statric, but tonight oh, no. they're very close. Mm-hmm. We had 5.2 expected goals for the Oilers and 2.2 for the Islanders. Wow. So um, yeah, the uh, you know and Bruce both games they played New Jersey the Oilers had more expected goals than the other team. Yeah. Just of having no luck. This is this is when you brought up coming back against the Rangers. I was thinking, ah, geez, they just seem to be uh, snake bitten against these um, New York area teams. They do. They, they, des- they, do. they Yeah, they deserve better <laughs> against the Devils. You know, they at least a split, and then would have been nice to win this one, but not to be. And and again, to be uh, fair to the Islanders, a lot of those a lot of those shots came when the game was out of reach. You know, nine of those. Um, uh, grade A shots at the orders. Nine of their 18 grade grade A shots came in the third period when the game was essentially out of reach. It was three nothing. Well, if they scored on a couple of them, it wouldn't have been out of reach. But they never could score on any of them, so it just stayed. You know, it seemed out of reach because the goalie was playing so well. But if they had scored on one, it's not like they didn't. You know, if they had scored on one, Bruce, they wouldn't have got any more power plays from the refs. So, yeah, 
there is that. Don't get me started on John McIsaac. I'm just going to say his name and say he's now my least favorite referee. I've had it with that guy. But let's move on. <laughs> it's a big list. Our- no, it's actually a short list, but he's right on the top of it at the moment. <laughs> my number is uh, Zach Hyman's shooting stats tonight. He he had 11 shots, Bruce. So a subset of those 11 shots were eight grade A shots. And a subset of the eight grade A shots were six uh, five alarm shots. So he should have had a hat trick. Zach Hyman should have, you know, it, it, uh, he should have had a hat trick tonight. And instead he had no goals. But he was flying in on net repeatedly, both on the power play and at even strength and just getting all kinds of great chances around the net. Uh, one-timers, jam plays, um, near bre- near breakaways, everything. Rebounds. He, he could not tip. He, he could not score. So you're right. I agree. He will be uh, dreaming in Technicolor of this, you know, this he'll just have wake up in the, in the middle of the night with this impending sense of doom and Ilya Sorokin under his bed. <laughs> let, let, let me flesh out Hyman's numbers. This is the natural stat trick of it's all some of the parallel ones to the ones you just mentioned. They they also of course record eleven shots because that's official. Uh, individual expected goals. Zach Hyman alone was expected to produce two point three goals in this game based on the shots that he took. He, he was you know most of the way to a hat trick based on the quality of his shot. Twelve individual chances. Twelve individual. Uh, Sorry, individual shot attempts, 12 individual scoring chances, 10 individual high danger chances, 10. And the team as a whole had uh, a high danger, 23. Zach Hyman had 10 of them. He had uh, five rebound attempts and he created six rebounds. And I can remember at least two, if not three occasions where Hyman went in, fired a good shot, got his own rebound, fired a second good shot, couldn't beat the guy. But it wasn't, <laughs> well, I mean, there was a play in the first period, late in the first period, where Dreisaitl threaded this fantastic pass oh, through to Hyman on a two-on-two, like beautiful yeah. pass. And Hyman went in and he fired a hard shot off the wing. And then he got the rebound and he tried to stuff it in the far corner and Sorokin did the splits right across the entire net, took away the bottom of the net to stop that rebound. And then there was one in the third period where McDavid, picked off a pass and he went charging up the the, the side made a, a, a drop pass back to Hyman who wired a shot from the slot then got the rebound tried to stuff that one in on the other side of stroke and he got that pad down on that one somehow it was just like what do you have to do well whatever it was you had to do the Oilers couldn't do it tonight but Zach Hyman man just all right Bruce State of the Oilers, State of the Oilers. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's pretty obvious that Jack, <laughs> they've been having some trouble with Jack Campbell when he's been in net. He's he's had a really rancid start to the year, rough start to the year. So that's obvious, uh, you know, and, and Stuart Skinner has been generally strong. Um, uh, so there's that. Is there anything else? I mean, and obviously the other thing is they're not the same team without Evander Kane. They just don't yeah. seem to be the same team. They're not... They can't seem to get it, put together two top lines without him. You know, and then the, Yamamoto, Pulley, RV Fogel, the $3 million men have been getting a lot of a lot of criticism. 
I think both Pugliarvi and Fogel have been playing a little better as of late. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, if I had to, it's hard to pinpoint. Well, I have been pinpointing one thing, so I'm just going to stick with that. I, I just think with the level of talent on this team right now, they just need a total defensive effort. And, and they got that tonight. I mean, they didn't give up many grade A shots. And they didn't give up many grade A shots against New Jersey either. So it's not like they and and they had a good game against Vegas. So I actually think, like you say, they're at the they're closer to the end of a bad spell than than the middle of it or the beginning. Um, they are getting the message, I think, about playing defense. But there's a number of players who are in horrendous defensive slumps. Leon Dreisaitl is, Evan Bouchard is. Um, I think they're. I don't know if Bouchard's working his way out of it. I think Drysaddle is. I, I'm seeing signs that he's starting to to bear down and 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 play strong defensive hockey. Really focus on it. So, if I had to single out anything else, I think there's a depth problem on defense and and a bit of a toughness problem on defense. Um, they I think they miss. You know, again, they've they've lost in the last few years. They've lost Adam Larson and Chris Russell, two really uh, gutsy. Um, defensive defenseman. And I think they missed those two players quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. CC filled in for Larson and Cody CC has been okay this year. He He's not as good though as he was last year. He's been struggling more. Um, a lot of people are down on Darnell Nurse. I think Darnell Nurse has been fine. Honestly, I don't, I don't see him as, as the problem. Bouchard is in a terrible defensive slump. Tyson Berry has come and on. offensive slump. And offensive slump. Tyson Berry is coming on and playing. I think, you know, that uh, that play tonight, um, notwithstanding that. But I think Tyson Berry's been fine. But it's it's Kulak, Murray, and Niemalainen. Those guys, Kulak is not playing well. He is really struggling on defense. And he hasn't stepped up in the way that they, that they hoped um, was going to happen and, and did happen with CeCe last year. He hasn't stepped up into into a top four role. He's been struggling with it. He's leaking chances against. And um, Nima Linen has, I mean, he's here for his physical play. And he had a couple hits in the last game. But he hasn't been able to deliver physically. And he's not a great NHL hockey player right now. He's not a great puck mover. And he's an okay defender. Ryan Murray is an ineffective defender. Soft on the puck. Um, soft in battles. Who can move the puck fairly well now and then. Um, mm-hmm. But... I just I just see a real need for the player that they hope Marcus Niemelainen can be. They need uh, they need someone who's going to bring real defensive intensity and can play play second pairing left defense in a top four four role in a def, in defensively. Just a someone who can come in and get that job done. And they they don't have it right now. And um, I think they might want to they got to think hard about it. Is the answer going to come from within? Will Philip Brobery step up? You know, he's starting to play in the minors after um, a couple injury setbacks this year. Is that really the, is that what they're going to count on? Or is it time to, to bite the bullet early in the year and make a trade for um, maybe trade your first pick this coming for this season to bring in the, you know, the right player who can play in your top four because Kulak hasn't seized the job. Now, maybe patience, you know, and given Ken Holland's M.O., patience will be the order of the day. And I'm not um, saying that's necessarily the wrong thing. Uh, I haven't made up my mind yet. Again, Duncan Keith started out slowly 
and wasn't very good in the first couple months. So, but Kulak doesn't have the pedigree of Duncan Keith either, and he doesn't have the puck. He doesn't have the puck moving of Duncan Keith. Um, so, you know, Duncan Keith always had that. He was always really strong with the puck. It was his defensive play that needed yep. to improve, and that's what got Agreed. better. So Kulak is a little weaker at both both sides of things than Keith was, and I'm just not convinced at this point that he's the. I, I think he's a great third pairing lefty. Mm-hmm. But is he the answer? And I and I think they might have to try to trade for that mm. uh, tough, rugged, nasty guy uh, who will take, who will shut down people in the slot, and um, is effective defensively. So is that trade there? I don't know. Might be a little early. I don't know if teams. You know, you got to wait till teams give up on the season and that kind of thing usually. So there, we will probably see Kulak given more chances to see, see seize mm-hmm. that job. But he hasn't done it yet. So, yeah, and unfortunately, the clock's ticking on Philip Robery, who's um, you know still in the minors, and mm. yeah, he was expected to take the next step this year, right? Our number one yeah. prospect uh, for the oldest prospect in our summer series, and he was you know widely almost assumed to make the team this year, and of course, he had a couple of physical setbacks and. Uh, uh, cut himself with a steak knife for Pete's sake, and and he uh, uh, anyway he's um, uh, starting to look good in the games down in Bakersfield. These bits and pieces that I've seen, and uh, I watched one entire game last week where he scored two goals, and you know, but he he just looked way more dynamic. Like I thought in preseason, he didn't really show that, and I think maybe he was he was injured, he was injured at that time. So. Uh, I would sure hate to see them, you know, sort of, well, unless they actually include him in the deal, I guess would be the other thing. But otherwise, you bring in another veteran and lock that guy out, then when does he ever get a look, you know? I mean, I think he can beat out Marcus Niemelainen and Ryan Murray once he's physically ready to go. And I wouldn't mind having a look at him there. And that's not impossible. He would also beat out Brett Kulak and, and work his way into the top four. I mean, this is a... This is a, a young D-man with a lot of physical skills. On the other hand, uh, Evan Bouchard, who was drafted a year before him, that last year looked like he was sort of flowering on the way to stardom, has taken a major step back this year on yeah. both ends of the sheet. So it's uh, my friend Low Tide, everybody's friend Low Tide, has a saying about defensemen don't develop in straight lines. And boy, has he got that right. It's not just one uh, onward, upward curve for uh, most of these guys, except for maybe the truly exceptional ones. But uh, I'm afraid the Oilers don't have any of those. Yeah. yeah, I don't. Is it like so? If you think about it from Holland's perspective, um, the prices are probably pretty high right now, and, and there's probably not a great willingness to trade from a lot of teams as well. They just they just don't want to move a defenseman at this point because most teams think they're in it. And so probably the, the steps they'll can they'll take is they will call up uh, Philip Robery at some point here, and he will be given a chance at third pairing defense. If he excels, maybe yeah. maybe by the end of the year he's the second pairing defenseman. Maybe Seems by unlikely. The third period. <laughs> yeah. Well, remember when he came up last year, Bruce? He played. He played the most minutes, at least one game. He, yeah, he, he did. Was at the top. He got it. He worked his way up to the top pairing. So, um, you know, it's not. They had a lot of guys out, but yes. It's not. It's not unlike. It's not impossible that he will work his way up the lineup. Maybe mm-hmm. they'll go with Bouchard and Nurse at 
to, and CC and, and Broberry to kind of split up the veterans and the, the you know, the younger guys. And um, then Kulak and Barry, who were, who were great as a third pairing last year in the playoffs. So it seems to me they'll probably try those options before they make a trade. If you, if, you know, if you look at what they should do and it d- depends how desperate they get, of course, if they, if they start to really lose, 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 then they might do something a little more uh, rash and make that trade that I've, you know, that idea, you know, people have been raising it for a couple of weeks now. I'm not obviously not the yeah. first to talk about it. So maybe they'll do that. And, you know, we hear names mm-hmm. like Carson Susie, but Seattle is, why would they move him if, unless he's not playing because Seattle wants to make the playoffs. And if he can help them make the playoffs, they're not going to move Carson Susie. They should so, have made an offer for Carson mm-hmm. Susie about five minutes after the Winnipeg game about two weeks ago when he took the dumbest penalty I've seen in probably five years. <laughs> with, with the goalie out and the puck clearing the zone and 25 seconds left on the clock, protecting, clinging to a one-goal lead, he decided then was a good time to punch Pierre-Luc Dubois in the back of the head right in front of the referee. Penalty, face-off in the back in the zone, and six on four, and of course the Jets tie it up and win it in overtime. And I bet you the GM of uh, Seattle, Ron Francis, would have been mighty sour at Carson Susie. They could have maybe got him the same way the Oilers traded Drake Kajula one day after he made his brutal giveaway against uh, against uh, the Sharks. There, anyway, it was. Uh, uh, I'm saying that partly in jest, but also in recognition of the fact that. We see always, because we watch all 82 games, every single mistake an Oilers guy make. Well, sometimes these other guys make mistakes too. They look great from a distance, and you start looking a little closer. Oh, boy, if he did that for us, would I be pissed? Yes, I definitely would be pissed. You know. <laughs> well, that's it. And I don't want to sound like I'm recommending any they trade for right. a specific player, because, again. The great I, Jeff I, Chickren? Yeah, I don't even know. Like, I don't oh, no, know any Jacob players. Chick- Jacob, 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 I'm a wrong generation that, again. <laughs> so I don't, I don't watch these other players enough to have any kind of sound evaluation of them. So I'm just going on names that I hear that people like this player or that player think should come in. So I, I have no idea who, you know, uh, um, Gavrikov from Columbus is mentioned by Bob Stoffer. Again, I don't. And that's I don't, a team that's struggling, but they desperately need him because they got D-men hurt. They're missing Wierenski. They, you know. Like they would, but, they would definitely have to just can't say, okay, we want it, we want to win, uh, we want to suck hard for Bedard, you know, that uh, we might as well get rid of all our defensemen and and uh, finish last, you know, because that's what they'd have to do there, because they, well, they lost Wierenski for the season. It is, um, it is that kind of year where there's all these great draft picks uh, coming out, including Connor Bedard. So you will see teams uh, in early yes. December, I think, the teams that are really out of it. They're going to start getting that itch to uh, get a really great player. So Carson Soucy looks Arizona. like he's had, um, in terms of time on ice, Larson leads the way there, Vince Dunn, Justin Schultz, two ex-Oilers, and then Carson Soucy in the number four slot. So uh, in terms of total time on ice in Seattle this year. Um, yeah, and again, I don't know the player, so I can't say whether they should get him or not. Uh, yeah, I... We'll see what we'll see uh, how this turns out, Bruce. But it, it, it the clock's ticking on, on the, the, these defensive issues, and I I do think there is a certain amount. Of, it's not like uh, Chris Russell was a tough guy, but he sure was gritty as hell and was tough in the defensive slot. 
and Larson was a Larson was a tough guy, and they really, you know, they miss yeah. him. But um, the Swedish Gator, and yes, they do miss that. So there you go, state of the orders. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm. This was game twenty, so I'm about to do the the uh, second segment review. So this podcast will be up top of that. So I've just mentioned a couple of things that will come up there. And that is after finishing last year, I think the last two 10-game segments, they were 7-2-1 and one when they made their big rush to make the playoffs. And then this year in the first uh, 10 games, they were 7-3-0, and zero, 41 goals for, 32 goals against. Well, in the second 10 games, that's completely turned around, 3-7-0. Uh. and zero with uh, 25 goals for 40 against. So 2.5 to 4 on a, on a gamely average, wow. uh, which over that span, which some teams have played 9 or 11 games, but uh, over that calendar span since November 2nd, uh, the Oilers are 27th in goals per game scored, 29th in goals allowed per game in the 32-team league. So way off. Uh, I don't think they scored five goals in any one of the games, ten, last ten games, which, you know, if your Oilers want to be sure of winning, they, you know, if they score five, then they win. If they get any less than five, well, often they're giving up four. I mean, hell, they're giving up an average of four. So if you're not scoring and not defending, well, that is a super bad combination. And the only hope is that this is a ten-game glitch and the previous three in a row ten games, a good ten-game spans are more the the norm than this one anomaly, but oh boy, oh boy, you know, they're 28th in penalty kill over that span. They're, you know, the power play is only 14th, which is, you know, way off what it should be. And it's just, uh, even that shot, even after tonight's 50 shot barrage, 30.4 per game, 34.6 against. So they're, they're bleeding like over four shots per game. Uh, more than the opposition. And this is in positions where the orders are often trailing in games and should be expected to outshoot the other team, and they're getting outshot. So there, there's, uh, there's, lots of, there's lots of storm clouds on the horizon, David. I don't think there's any other way to put it. I mean, at this point, I'm not convinced this is a playoff team. Well, they I've been... really got to turn it around. I've been optimistic uh, all the way along here. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to abandon that yet. I I expect we'll see a lot better play out of Jack Campbell. And, I expect um, too. Yes. So Stu Skinner's been good. If Campbell can play well, that can make a big difference right there. So um, maybe Kulak will step up here. Maybe he's going to f- get it together and figure this out a little bit. <laughs> or maybe they'll go with Kulak and Barry as a second pairing, and that'll work in in some way. Like uh, uh, put Bouchard down the lineup for a little bit. And uh, that'll work. Maybe Kyler Yamamoto will finally get healthy, come back and start putting in a few few goals, or Dylan Holloway will, will um, crank it up. I, I'm not expecting Dylan Holloway to crank it up. He just um, he does seem a little bit behind things. But um, Ryan McLeod could. He could start scoring a bit more. He's flying out there, making a lot of good plays. Not much of a goal scorer, though, maybe. Anyway, Bruce. Uh, they got 23 players on the current roster, so 21 skaters. Ten of them have zero goals on the season, 20 games into the season. Now, obviously, not all the guys have played all 20 games, but a, a few of them have. And uh, zero goals. Yeah. and they, Ten they, guys. Looks like they called up the two guys that might help them, 
uh, from the farm system. But, you know, I don't know how much cost that Yanmark are going to score either. Like, Yanmark's well, zero there. goals so far. <laughs> yeah. I like Yanmark quite a bit, and, and Costas mm-hmm. uh, provided some physical play. So I'm not going to criticize them, and I think they will uh, score some goals as things go along here. But, yeah. Yanmark played 11-15 tonight, and he didn't have a single number of any description on the event summary all the way across blanks no shot attempts no or shots no hits no you know giveaways nothing it, it was, was like a three he, he was yeah. a ghost i'd give him a three out of ten for that one that was, was not yeah so he didn't get anything he's had that. some good games but tonight he was invisible and sort of officially so but based on the event summary so just trying to check here. Let's see who else they got. Do they have anyone else in Bakersfield they can call up? But, uh, I don't think they do actually. I think the the um, you know Raphael really Lavoie think... might have been close this year, but he got injured, right? Like there's another guy who might have been knocking on the door a little bit. And uh, well, there's James Hamlin, but he's not going to be a big you know he's not going to change much on the attack. He might provide some energy, um, mm-hmm. but he's a very similar player to the. You know, Devin Shore, Derek Ryan kind of players that they have already in that, in those roles. Yeah, I mean, Brovery is, is the main one. Uh, Mike, uh, I mean, Borgo, I think, in time, but I don't think he's going to be there yet. He's only played 15 games as a pro. Yeah, and he's, four, and he's not ripping it up. Four assists. He's doing all right, but he's not yeah. ripping it up. And he's right where he needs to be, so you don't mess with that. So yeah. there's not a lot. I mean, they just brought up Brad Malone. Well, you know, I mean, he, he can fill in, and, and but that's all he can do, right? He's not going to turn the team around. The guys are going to turn it around are the top guys, and uh, right now they're down a court without Evander Kane, and uh, they're a uh, big guy. I mean, Drysaddle is, I'd say, his game has dropped in the second 10 from the first 10, and you pointed that out, and, you know, they just got... Uh, uh, they got a few too many guys at uh, less than 100%. And the one just, well, Yamamoto and Kane, so two significant injuries. And, and uh, you know, the defense is healthy. That's the scary part. <laughs> <laughs> that is the scary part for you. I mean, last year in December, we could say, yeah, yeah, but Nurse is out and Keith is out and Cece's out. And, you know, of course, they're going to have trouble lose a few games. Well, right now they got all the guys and they're still losing a few games. Oof. All right. Let's leave it there in that positive moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I probably sound just like all those, those guys on the internet, do I? Oh, well, I mean, in a season, there's always down moments, right? At least there's I'm smiling, down. David. You are smiling, Bruce. <laughs> Bruce, thanks for talking to me. Oh, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime... And in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.